hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, we come to you because we know that you are with us. We know that you hear our words and that you guide us and lead us. So Lord, as we continue our worship in your word, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. The last January, actually it started in uh, around Christmas time, we put little cards in the worship bulletins during the Christmas Eve service and also the Sunday following Christmas Eve to ask if you had questions that you would like for me to uh, tackle uh, during a sermon series that we did at the very beginning of the year. We called, uh, I think we called it Questions. And we had about three weeks where we uh, covered questions that that you had, uh, and I really enjoyed that sermon series. But uh, there were other questions that came up that we really weren't able to tackle, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series right now is because there was a question that came up that I realized that we could not really cover in just one sermon, and it was this question right here. How do the letters to the seven churches apply to churches today? And I saw that question going, that's a really good question. I, that, that, that'll be fun to really explore. So we decided to take these next seven weeks to talk about there. There were other questions about Revelation too, about, you know, about what some of the, the, the symbols that were there, numerology in Revelation, and, and all of that type of stuff. And, and I'll try to cover bits and pieces as we talk about uh, the seven churches that uh, this book was originally written to. Uh, but uh, we're, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting task. To, to really dig through all of this. Believe me, I've, I've been reading a lot of stuff, and I'm going, hmm. So this sermon may be about 50 minutes long. No, just kidding. We'll, we'll, keep, it, we'll keep it moving along just fine. But, you know, there was uh, one thing that came about this letter. And the first question that I had, why, why these seven churches? Why, why did they pick out these seven particular churches to write to? Because there are other letters in the New Testament that are written to other, other churches, and how come they weren't uh, written specifically to the Thessalonians or to the Colossians? But why these particular seven? And when we look at a map, we can see kind of why these are the seven churches in Revelation number one, if you see, the number one is uh, Ephesus, which, which is the church that we're going to be talking about today. You see how close it is to the island of Patmos. And that's the island where, where John was uh, held uh, in, in prison, where he was writing these letters. So the proximity between the, the first church and Patmos was very close. 
And when you take a look at the seven churches, they, they come in this nice little loop around Asia Minor, and, and historians and, and theologians believe that the reason why these seven churches are included is because it, it forms a circuit, that when the trade routes were happening, that they would start there in Ephesus because that was the main entry point, and then they would go around in this circuit. So when they got all the way to Laodicea, they just come back to Ephesus to complete the circuit. So it was a, a, a age of, of proximity, and it was a way to really make sure that there was a good use of time and a good, easy way for these letters to be circulated. Another interesting thing about Ephesus, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's where it, uh, tradition says that John, after he was released from, uh, from Patmos, he was made his home in Ephesus, and also Mary, the mother of Jesus, also lived for a time in Ephesus. Now, another thing that as we continue to talk about and move through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism that takes place within the book. And we're going to cover just a few that we'll see repeat over and over again during these first uh, seven churches. But the one that really sticks out is the lampstand. Now, what does the lampstand represent? Well, it's a pretty significant one. It's a pretty easy one to understand. A lampstand brings light. So when we talk about the lampstands and the different churches, it's talking about how they're supposed to be the light of the world, how they're supposed to light up their communities and share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with those around them. The other two, a little bit more uh, dense, a little bit harder to understand, but there's one version or mention of Jesus standing with seven stars in his right hand. And the right hand talks about authority and it talks about power. And when it talks about the seven stars in Jesus's right hand, it's talking about that those stars are extremely important. And other writers say that those seven stars represent the leaders of those seven churches that these letters were written to. And the, the final piece or the final part of the puzzle that we talk about symbolism is that each letter is written to an angel. So the first letter to the Ephesus is written to the angel of Ephesus. Well, some people think that it may have to do with like an archangel or, or somebody that, that God has sent down to help protect that community, but most scholars believe that it's not about a, uh, an angel, angel, angelic being, but when we talk about an angel, it is actually the person who is going to be reading the letter to the community, that person who comes to the community and brings good news to them. We see that word, it, the word is angelos, and that same word is used in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, when it talks about John the Baptist. And it talks about John the Baptist coming and being a messenger before Christ to share the good news and to bring about repentance to the community. So the angels that these letters are written to, they're not to an angelic being, it's to the person who will share the good news, that will bring the news to the people of that community. 
Now, when we take a look at these letters, we'll see that there is a particular pattern that gets followed over and over again. And, and all the letters pretty much have this same pattern. The very first thing that we see is that we get a description of who Christ is. And each of these descriptions show a different picture of who Jesus is. And then we hear about what it is that, that Christ knows about the church and about that community. Then that is followed up by, by commendations. You know, what the church is doing correctly. But we see that in all of the churches except for one. And you can wait till we get to that church, or if you really want to look ahead, you can take a look at, at Revelation 2 and 3 to figure out which one it is. And then the last part is a part of rebuke, where Jesus rebukes all of the churches except for two. Two churches do not have a rebuke towards them. So again, come back and you get to hear what it is, or if you want to look ahead, feel free to take a look at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Oh, that's another thing. The book is Revelation. It's not Revelation. Sometimes we get caught up in saying the book of Revelations. We, we pluralize it. There was only one revelation that John has, and that bothers more people than others, but I'm not really one of them because I don't speak good anyway. So, But the original question that we had was how does the letters to the churches and Revelation, do they have any relevance to us today? And the short answer is yes, absolutely they do. The entire scripture has relevance for us today. But we realize and we recognize that, that these letters, just like Ephesians, just like Colossians, just like First and Second Thessalonians, they were written to a specific community at a specific time. And it was addressing needs and issues and, and problems that that church needed to, to go through. But the one thing that we realize is as we look at these letters, we see that they're the exact same things that we struggle with, that we have to deal with right here and right now. So as we start our journey through the seven churches, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And we'll go through verses 1 through 7. So hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So you already see that taking place, the seven stars in Jesus' right hand walking along the seven lampstands. He continues, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place 
but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, whom I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. See, the book of Revelation is called apocalyptic literature. It, it, it looks forward, or, or it gives us a, a chance of something that, that will happen. And, and there were church fathers and, and people, theologians, theologians throughout history who thought that the book of Revelation should not be a part of it at all. One is uh, Martin Luther. He thought that the book of Revolution should not be a part of the Bible because, as you heard what was said, he had a hard time reconciling the words and revelation from the loving God that we have in the gospel, the one who seeks and saves the lost. So he thought that the book of Revelation, while there were some things that were important, it wasn't something that really should be a part of Scripture. But the one thing that I do know, before we really dig into uh, Ephesians, is that the book of Revelation does give us an endpoint or does help us find completion from the beginning of Genesis. When we look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see the creation of the garden. We see this perfection that God had set up. And then humankind came along and, and, and messed it up, and we humans still continue to mess things up as we move through this life. But if you look at the very end of Revelation, you see another picture of the garden. You see the completion of, of the time together, and you see that God comes back and restores, and as the Scripture says, comes and makes all things new. So let's hop back to the beginning of Revelation to, to Ephesians. You can hear the different patterns of the Scripture, can't you? You can hear how we hear a little bit about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. We hear the commendations of Scripture. We hear the, the warnings or the rebuke of the church. And all of this comes together for a picture of what is happening in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very mighty and powerful town at that time. There were a lot of things happening in Ephesus. As I mentioned, there was a big bay that was there that, that ships would come in and, and unload uh, products for the town and for the surrounding areas. There were all of these roads that the Romans built that helped guide people through to the different cities and would help the trade to move through. So it was a very key place where a lot of stuff happened. One of the things that happened there was there was a temple that was built. But it wasn't a temple to, to God. It was a temple to the god Artemis, the goddess Artemis, who is a goddess of love. And this temple was a place that was set up for safety, where a lot of money was exchanged there. But it was also a place where a lot of thieves were, were to hide out for, for protection. And a lot of other stuff that we really don't talk about in mixed company happened there uh, around the temple of, of Artemis. But all of this was set up as a, a dangerous place for people who follow Jesus to, to come in contact with. And we hear a little bit more about it in Acts chapter 19 where Paul is traveling through on one of his missionary journeys and he comes across 
believers who are, are set up there in Ephesus. And he realizes that these believers are, are, are without power. They say they believe in Jesus, but they're not doing the things that followers of Jesus have done. So Paul asked in Acts chapter 19, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? And the believer said, we have no idea what the Holy Spirit is. How, how do we get that? So Paul then baptizes the believers there in Ephesus, and then amazing things start to happen. The, the world starts to turn around there in Ephesus, and it starts to, to, to break down the status quo. It starts to threaten those people who have power. And one of those power brokers is somebody who makes nice little gold statues of Artemis. And they realize that we're not able to sell these statues to anyone. So it's those believers in Jesus who are, who are messing things up. So a big giant riot happens. And it starts to unbalance the, the, the system that is there. But the believers hold still. And that is what, what Jesus is talking about to them. We do not like these evil people, these people that continue to do wrong and bless you for standing up to them. One of the words that, that comes across in another letter is the words of the uh, Nicolo Nicolaitans, which it means that they're the conquerors of the people, they're the conquerors of the people of God. And, and, and they're standing up to them saying, no, you do not have the power. Only Jesus has the power in our lives. But things keep moving along. And all of a sudden, we realize that the people in Ephesus are just doing the good things, and they're forgetting why they are doing them. So Jesus reminds them, y'all have forgotten your first love. You forgot why it was that, that you were doing all of these things. You know, and if you forget and you fail to do these things, your lampstand's going to be taken. You are not going to be the light for this community. All the stuff that you do is only pointing at yourself, but not pointing to the God who loves you and cares for you. Now, I think about my own life that there are times where I start to do things and I realize that I'm just doing things to bring myself glory. I'm doing things to help boost myself up. I'm doing things so that we can look and say, hey, look at all of the great things that we're doing, that we're forgetting the most important thing and that we are failing to share people that it is because of Christ that we are to act. The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, he knew that this was something that was a problem in England, and for my friends, it's a problem that we have today. It's, it's easy to make sure that we're not doing anything wrong or making sure that we do good, but if you fail to do this last part, showing the love and grace of Christ, then the other part is mute. It, it, it doesn't make sense at all. That's why he came up with these general rules that we love to talk about every, here, every now and then. The general rules are talking about doing no harm, making sure that every action you do does not hurt other people. 
then we're turning around and doing good, making sure that you're building up one another. But then John Wesley would say the most important part of all of this is that you must maintain upon the ordinance of God, or as, as Bishop Jobs said before, at, at a lot later time, that we must stay in love with God. If we fail to have God in our lives, or as John would write, as what Jesus said, if we fail to remember our first love, what we do is mute. What we do doesn't matter at all. You know, uh, this morning I walked into the sanctuary. We're still having a little bit of issues with these, and I don't know exactly what it is, but we've had problems with our candlesticks. And I walked in to worship this morning, or to the sanctuary this morning, and I started to fiddle around with a cap and everything and look inside. And Dean Gilkinson, one of our 830 members who helps get the sanctuary ready for us on Sunday mornings, he said, Pastor Chris, I said, what? You're about the seventh person to make sure that those are working. So what would that look like in our lives? What would it look like if, if we were so in tune and so wanted to make sure that the light of Christ was lit in our community so that more people can be warmed by the light of God's grace? What would it look like if, if we made sure that everything that we did pointed or connected people to Jesus Christ? What if that was our main concern? Not that we fed people, not that we helped out at Davis Elementary School, not that we were involved in different social uh, organizations throughout our community, but what if we made sure that all that we did was like making sure the lights or the candles were working, pointed time and time again to Christ active and alive around us so that the light of Christ could shine brightly. That's why I love Communion Sunday, because it is a reminder to me, and I hope it's a reminder to all of us, that we come to Christ's table. We come and we experience the, the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the cup. We know that we are connected as one body through Jesus Christ, and that his work helped save us from our sins, that, that made us clean so that we can be holy as Christ is holy. So my hope and prayer is that as you come forward today, you remember that you are called not just to do good things around the community, but you are called to bear witness. Bear witness to the love and grace of Jesus Christ so that when people see you, they see your light burning for him. And we help each other shine that light so the world may see. Would you please pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, as we look through the seven churches of Revelation, help us to see that sometimes we can be like each one of these churches, that we can miss the mark or we can just drift off one way or the other but thanks be to god that you continue to call us back you continue to 
lead us to grow in our faith so that we may boldly proclaim you as our Lord and Savior and then share that love with others. So God, as we come to the table, guide us and lead us so that we may fully share your love with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.